Hey everybody, welcome to the 64th episode of the JDO Show. I am your host, JDO, aka Little Note Card, aka Candleman, aka I'm doing some laundry. I got done cleaning today, went out and bought some stuff for my toilet. It was pretty fucking cool to watch all the stains dissolve on the porcelain. This is kind of what my life is turning into. I'm really, I really do enjoy cleaning stuff. I like taking my little Clorox wipes over the counter and watching, you know, little spaghetti stains and coffee stains disappear. It's just fucking soothing to me. I really, really enjoy it. So today is going to be a ramble episode, if you haven't noticed yet. Um, I think there was an episode where I said, I'm only going to do ramble episodes on Patreon, but I've sort of reevaluated how I approach Patreon in general. And I did that because well, I wrote something that uh, my Patreon backers could see. And it was essentially saying something to the effect of, look, I can't offer you the things that I thought I was going to be able to offer you. So basically, I had this idea that I was going to write a book in kind of a live way and that my patrons would be able to see it. And that idea didn't exactly catch the world on fire. And that's kind of the downside of making promises on Patreon, which is something that I'm just not going to do anymore. I'm not going to promise anything, really, on the internet. I'm just going to sort of release things as they're done. Because what ends up happening is that if you say something like that and then six people are interested, you have those six people committed. But you end up with, unfortunately... (laughs) Like, not enough money to make it worth your time. Because I'm sort of already doing a lot of stuff uh, for no money. This podcast, for example. Um, Time that you spend writing books, that's not really paid. Time that I spend editing Broken River stuff, none of that is paid. And that's sort of what the Patreon is supposed to exist for in the first place. It's supposed to provide supplementation for those moments when there's no income coming in but work is being generated. Um, So to have a Patreon and to have one of the things essentially be a huge time suck for not that much money, it's kind of adding to the problem instead of taking away from it. So what I've ended up doing with the Patreon is just taking away all rewards except for that highest $20 tier, which is still a 30-minute call every month about uh, whatever you're working on in particular. So I, I just changed it all to a th- like, thank you, basically. Because, unfortunately, it, it probably won't work because people don't like to just give money away. That we, we live in a society that's very much you know, I get something for my money. I don't just donate it. Um, but I realized that uh, so much stuff is based on how much money you have to begin with. That's the same as, it's the same in publishing, in any business really. Uh, The people who succeed in it are the people who have money. And the reason why is because it takes so much time um, where you're not generating any income that you kind of have to have a nest egg in place in order to not go under, which is what ended up happening to me. I mean, when I did uh, March Madness two years ago, that great event that sort of sent me into a strange um, dimension it 
basically what occurred was I decided to go balls to the wall and just really make a go at making it work. But the key thing that I didn't realize was that um, you need a nest egg of, you know, basically a year's worth of money if you're going to take a year off to pursue something, which is just common sense. Uh, it's common sense that I completely lacked. And I ended up learning, you know, the hard way that that's just not how things get done. And it took me about two years to dig myself out of that fucking hole. So, yeah, so I mean, the Patreon is just basically there to, you know, if you feel um, like sort of supporting either this podcast or uh, Broken River Books or even my own writing, which I, you know what, I think that might be uh, the key thing that people are sort of turning away from is that I mentioned my own writing in the same breath as this podcast and um, Broken River, because the, the podcast and Broken River sort of both benefit uh, people other than myself. Um, and I think that that's what people like to give to. If people get kind of get the impression that I'm working with other people and helping other people, then they're more likely to help. But if I'm just sort of like, hey, help me, everybody's like, no, well, fuck you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, fuck me. But uh, so anyway, I've been feeling pretty good about stuff lately. I've been enjoying life overall. Um, it's come down to uh, meditation and a lot of exercise. Basically, quitting smoking has it totally rewired the way my brain worked. It's very, very strange. You don't realize until you get off of nicotine how prevalent nicotine is in your life um not just in the sense that it guides you from essentially like when you're when you're a smoker you're sort of going from smoke break to smoke break um and it's it's something to look forward to it it fills a lot of holes that you would otherwise have to fill with things that are kind of difficult to do. So once the nicotine stopped, I felt, and this sounds crazy dramatic, but I sort of felt lost in a weird way. I felt unmoored, I think is a good word for it, because I had been led from cigarette to cigarette, and I always had that kind of base that I could touch. When I ran out of things to write, I could have a cigarette. When I got finished cleaning, I could have a cigarette. Now it's like I get finished cleaning or I write a really good passage and all that's left, you just have to keep writing or, you know, the cleaning is done. All right, now you have to go run an errand. So it's it, it radically restructures the way your life is because you stop having pause moments. But then, and so, you know what's so funny is you, you kind of turn into... A giant baby in a way you there have been so many times where I wanted a cigarette uh, and then I couldn't get one and you know it's four o'clock in the afternoon and I was like well I'll just go drink a beer and then I thought to myself David you know uh, it's it's four o'clock in the afternoon you probably shouldn't drink a beer and then I go well I guess I just don't get to do anything then I guess I just don't get to have any fun. I don't get to do anything. Yeah, look, it's look at me. 
I'll just sit here and be fucking lame as hell and do nothing at all. That's that's what I'll do. That sounds like my life now. Because you have these sort of dramatic outbursts when you stop smoking. So I had to, in a sense, create all these new and interesting habits that I didn't have before. And one of them was working out. So that's been very interesting. I've been sort of working out until I was a quivering, sweat-covered mass on my living room floor. I bought a bunch of different workout equipment. Uh, and that does pretty well. It's kind of like walking a dog, I think. You know, you get a jittery, anxious dog. You can either, I guess, feed it cigarettes or take it for a walk. And, uh, you know, going for a walk is obviously the better idea. And then there have been, you know, the meditation. So I just kind of sit for 10 minutes and that feels pretty good. Um, and then there's also been mushrooms, which have been helpful. I went for a really good walk with a buddy. Um, oh, geez, about a week ago now with his uh, dog. And we got some burritos and we were tripping. And it was just, it was a really good experience. And I, I highly recommend that for anybody who's coming off of something major. Um, mushrooms are probably a good choice. Uh, you can't really overdo mushrooms because at a certain point you'll build up a tolerance where you just kind of won't feel it anymore, which might make for kind of an interesting party trick. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, I was walking through the woods and I came upon these, uh, these death metal goth folks who were playing frisbee golf and, you know, they had a black Pomeranian whose name I think was Demon. Uh, and it was just this great experience seeing these Satanists in the woods with their uh, Pomeranian demon and, you know, and they're just playing frisbee golf and, and the trees were beautiful. And, you know, I'm talking to my buddy about writing. He's a writer. And, you know, we're just kind of shooting the shit. And which brings me to kind of like my next thing that I'm rambling about, which is that I'm kind of on a kick now where I really want to become a better writer. I think that I was really stagnant for a while. I was kind of satisfied with where I was at, but I kind of, well, I guess what I learned is that I took my style as far as I think I can realistically take it. Uh, I think black gum is kind of the pinnacle of that sort of mode that I was working in. And that has led to a lot of the, um, the blocks is that, you know, when I sit down to write, I think to myself, oh my God, this doesn't even sound like you. This sounds different, but different stories require different voices. And a lot of the stuff that I was writing, especially in Lowdown and Black Gum, is really true to life. So I think when it's something that's true to life, I can get stylistically experimental. But the stuff that I'm working on now is more experimental content-wise. So I have to kind of get better at the nuts and bolts of actual storytelling. I think it was Carlton Mellick who said, you know, the more and more absurd you get with the story that you're telling, the more clean and precise and accurate your prose has to get. And so that's kind of where my pendulum is swinging. I'm working on all these books that are conceptually very strange, and they need a firm, you know, footing to stand on, basically. Anyway, somebody talking about their writing and working on their writing and their style is profoundly uninteresting, and I apologize for that. But it brings me to a thought that I had because, you know, people really like to talk about having beginner's mind. 
is that a Buddhist concept? It might be. But this idea that you approach everything with the idea that you just that you don't know anything and that you are here to learn and grow and become better or at least different as you gain experiences, as you gain wisdom. I think conceptually, everybody understands what that means. But in practice, it's incredibly difficult to do because we all have ego. We all kind of, and by we, I'm talking specifically about writers, we all kind of have something inside of us that tells us that we are the exception to the rule and that we are special. And I'm just going to go ahead and say we all have it. I don't know that scientifically, but come on, we all have it. And what that means is, on the one hand, it's a good thing because it's something that makes us do what we do in the first place. That's why I say that we all have it, because in order to sit down and write a novel, you have to think that in some way, shape, or form, you are special or unique and that you have a special or unique way of telling a story, which, here's the good news, you are. You are special and you are unique and you do have a unique way of telling something that nobody else really can do. Now, whether or not that's good or bad is completely different, but I mean, you are kind of a unique individual. I hesitate to use the word snowflake, which has become a pejorative for fucking idiots on the internet, but in a way you kind of are. But that gets in our way because we get to a certain point. I've been writing for 15 years. That's half my life. I started putting stories online when I was 15 or 16. Uh, I started working with professionals around 18. My first book came out when I was 22, 23, 23, I think I was. And so, and that book won an award for best novel of the year. Now, that can fuck your shit up because all of a sudden, you didn't really learn very much. I, I didn't. I haven't really taken classes on how to write. I haven't worked with mentors on how to write. Outside of Jeremy Johnson, I worked with him uh, pretty much for a couple years or so. He would, you know, read my short stories that I would send to him kind of obnoxiously, and he'd work with me. He'd retool them. He taught me how the submission process worked, but I was never really into that either, and I still am not kind of to this day. Which this all that we're all swirling around this idea of ego, right? And so basically, I, I was I was gifted with um, an ego, and the ego was rewarded. But the problem is, is that that ego runs out. It runs it 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 doesn't run out. It runs its course as far as its usefulness goes, and I think it ran its course all the way up to black gum, and then after that, I just couldn't really pull anything else out of that. Now, I can relate this to a bunch of different things in my life, but I went through a huge sort of upheaval when I moved to Oregon, and I've become a different person in almost every aspect of my life. I've become, in a sense, I'm like a baby adult now. I feel like I became an adult last year, maybe 29 or so. I know that's sad, but hey, millennials, what are you going to do? But anyway, I've changed so much that I, I, I realized that I had to approach my writing once again as though I was a student. And this is a very romantic idea that people latch on to and like to espouse. You know, that I just approach everything like 
like I'm a newborn man. I'm just absorbing all the energies and I'm learning. But it's bullshit. It's bullshit. They think they know what they're doing. They think they're pros. And um, so they go about their business doing what they're doing. And then they wonder why nobody's buying their books. And I was kind of getting into that rut myself. I was sitting, I, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I want to sell more books. You know, I want to make storytelling a career because when I sit down and write, I actually have fun doing it now. And I, I just, I want to make that a thing that I can do for a living. I'm just going to be honest with you. Oh, it feels weird to say that because I've, you know, I've been playing it cool for so long. You know, oh, it's, it doesn't matter, man. Just chill, whatever. Be chill, be chill. But I'm not really chill anymore. You know, I'm 30 years old and I've been doing this for a while and I'd like for it to start clicking somewhere. So I'm willing to play the game. And that brings me to Otessa Moshfeg, who in an interview talked about how she read this book, uh, The 90 Day Novel, because she said herself, you know, those exact words like, okay, I'll play the game. I think I have enough raw talent. I'll, I'll play it the way it's supposed to be played. And so I copied her. I went and did the exact same thing. I bought the 90 day novel. And let me tell you something, sitting down with it is humbling because you're starting all the way back at square one. And that's where living like a novice, approaching a craft like a student consistently becomes very, very difficult. Because all of a sudden, you're sitting down. I mean, you're the guy who won the Wonderland Award for Best Novel when you were 23. And then your second novel was translated into French by the premier crime publisher in France. Like, you're on the same press as James Elroy and Dennis Lehane. And then your third book is just this really dark personal, well-done story of your life. And now you're sitting in, in front of the 90-day novel. Now, if that all sounds great, if you're rolling your eyes, I mean, go fuck yourself. It's what's going on in my head. And I think that if we were all more honest with each other, we would realize that it's what's going on in a lot of our heads. We all have this story that we tell ourselves about how fucking cool and special and unique we are. And that's the story that's going through my head when I open up this 90-day novel. And I think, so what, me and just some random dude or who's fucking never written a word in his life but got the idea to tell this really great dystopian story. So he picks up this book from the store and he's going to learn how to be a writer. You and that guy are in the same fucking boat. Really, dude? Don't you kind of already know how to do this? Don't you know how to put a story together? The answer is no. The answer is I don't know how to put a story together. And I think that a lot of us don't. A lot of us have an intuitive understanding of how to do certain things. For example, I have a really good ear for dialogue. I can do dialogue really well. I can also, like stylistically, I'm good. But I have no idea how to make a plot. There are plots in my books but those books took two years to write, and they're about 150 pages each. It was not a smooth process for me to put all those moving parts together. 
In fact, it's kind of a miracle that those books even exist with how completely disorganized and fucking amateurish my process is. So, yeah, dude, you're a novice. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to streamline this process to become a working writer. What The level that I'm working on right now is starving artist level. And I have to admit that there are writers who I'm not super huge fans of, but they have the working writer routine down, and I would be wise to take a page from them. Which is, they know how to outline, they know how to get to the human heart of their story that they can then, you know, sprinkle throughout the narrative. They know how to do conflict. They know how to do all these things that I'm slowly but surely learning in the 90-day novel. And yes, it's corny. It's a self-help book for writers. And we'd all like to think that we're fucking above it and that we can just learn. But you know what? I just, I don't really, I don't think that we are. I think that we do need to learn. I think that we need to take where I'm going to sign up for workshops really soon. Um, because I... I love my voice and I love the way that I'm able to say things, but it's a voice with no discipline or training. It's all over the place and I've been pecking away trying to get stories to work and I'm frankly tired of just waiting for them to gel and cohere. I I need a process essentially to get these things done and that is why I bought the 90 day novel. So. There it is, folks. Your boy is uh, getting self-help books and trying to learn how to be a writer again. So we'll see what comes of it. We'll see what happens. I'm optimistic. I'm excited. I've had mixed um, reactions from people who I've talked to about it. Most people seem to say, like, hey, that's a fucking cool idea. There have been a few who have been like, what are you doing? Like, that's going to... It's almost like the kind of, kind of the punk like selling out thing because it does it feels like selling out right like you're basically taking the story seminar from adaptation and we've all been kind of uh, oh well not all but a good majority of us have been conditioned to think that that's kind of ugly um, or weird and I think we should just fucking drop all that shit because I'm gonna be real with you like I like postmodern uh, philosophy as much as the next guy and I really like deconstructionist texts and experimental stuff and focusing on the sentence level and really making sentences rip and stuff but I can't finish those fucking books I try to read them and it's a lot of stuff that goes on in the indie press stuff that won't sell the big stuff uh, 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 publishers because well, it won't sell because it's most of them aren't actually stories um, they're collections of beautiful words strung together not true of all of them, but true of a lot of them. And I like a lot of them, but I, I can't finish most of them because there's no real compelling hook. They're, they're, they're buffets in a sense. They're books that I can open up and pick a random page. and re- It's like poetry, right? Like I, can, I can read a poem or two, but I can't sit down and read an entire book of poetry, folks. It just doesn't work that way for me. That's not how I like to read. And... I suddenly realized, you know, like a, I just pick up these pulpy, uh, like crime paperbacks by, uh, I picked up one by, uh, by Greg Rucka, who's a crime writer, comic book writer. And, uh, I looked at Philip K. Dick and I've been reading J.G. Ballard and 
I remember how much I enjoyed Michael Crichton books. And those are books that I remember reading from beginning to end. Um, so I'm not as cool as I'd like to think that I am. I'm not into the super indie underground shit as much as I'd like to think I am. I like the ideas of those things more than the books themselves. Like, I'll hear about it, and I'll read a sample, and I'll read some really smart person's interpretation of the book, and I'll think, whoa, that's fucking cool. I dig that. And then I'll sit down to read the book, and I can't do it. I'm like, oh, this is fucking trash. Again, not talking about the entire indie scene, because, of course, there are people out there who are fucking killing it. And typically, those people tend to end up on bigger presses. They end up moving forward. Um, Or sometimes they don't. Sometimes they stay in the indie world. It's all, it's tough to generalize. It's really hard to generalize the indie publishing world because I'm so close to it. So I can think of counter examples to almost everything that I say. Um, people doing things differently than how I am in, like, presenting them as doing it. So it's really hard to say, but just overall, I, I'm, I want to I wanna write books that people enjoy. And I want to write books that people, you know, if I want to write a sequel to it, I want people to be excited for a sequel. I want people to want to hang out with... I got an email from a fella yesterday uh, that said, I read Lowdown for the fourth time. I need more Danny Ames. And I like that feeling. That was a good feeling, right? I created something that somebody enjoyed and wants more of. And I don't know. I'm just... I'm not really ashamed, I guess, of admitting that anymore. Which also brings me to... I had been for years. I've been on this kick about not being a broken record, not being a spammy asshole on social media about your writing or whatever. Um, my thoughts on that are changing. I do think that you can become a spammy asshole, and hmm, how do I put this? My thoughts are changing on it because, in a certain sense, there's really no other way to get people interested. And the thing that made me change my mind is that I realized I never got tired of seeing advertisements or announcements for books that I either enjoyed or were looking forward to. If I had read a book and liked it and I saw people talking about it, saying, hey, go buy my book, hey, go buy my book, it doesn't bother me. It kind of clicked when I bought Literally Show Me a Healthy Person by Darcy Wilder, which I fucking loved. And then I go on Twitter And I follow Darcy on Twitter, and of course she's retweeting people who have bought the book, people who have, you know, taken pictures of the book, etc. And there's a lot of retweets, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me the way it would for a book that I'm completely uninterested with. So basically, the, the little light bulb that clicked on in my head is that I don't like spam or advertisements if I find the person themselves distasteful or the product that they're pushing uninteresting. It doesn't have anything to do with advertising in general. So what I can unpack from that, therefore, is that advertising and spamming in general might not be a bad thing. I just might not like the particular product. And so I'm kind of missing what annoys me. I'm not technically... I am annoyed that I saw... Like, I see your shitty crime novel for like the fourth time but it's just because it's something that I'm completely uninterested in so I mean of course if I see a commercial four times in a row for I don't know 
lawnmowers or some shit. I live in an apartment complex and they mow their own lawn, so I don't need a fucking lawnmower. So the fourth time I see a fucking lawnmower, I'm going to be like, Jesus Christ, I'm tired of these fucking advertisements. But I can extrapolate from that that I hate commercials. Deep down, I don't think I hate commercials. Commercials, in a way, are sort of helpful. Like, without commercials, I wouldn't know... Like, okay, a good example, every podcast has a fucking Blue Apron commercial. I don't know how deep Blue Apron's pockets are, but they are on every fucking pot. They have to be paying out the ass with how much advertising I hear about on podcasts. But it interested me. I haven't done it yet because I don't necessarily have disposable income to do that. But the concept of Blue Apron is interesting to me. And I've heard it enough uh, that now it's in my head. And so whenever I'm ready to try out a service like that, I'll probably try Blue Apron. And it doesn't annoy me when I hear about Blue Apron because it's interesting to me. Anyway, I'm sort of repeating myself here, but I've been on a kick for years and years about how spamming and advertising sucks, and I'm throwing that all out the window and admitting that I was wrong. It doesn't suck because who cares? There's no other way to get people to... There's, there's literally no other way to get people to pay attention to your work. No other fucking way. I've tried. Um, and I've taken it about as far as I possibly could. But again and again, I learn that if you don't do a little bit of spamming, a little bit of legwork, a little bit of prodding people, annoying people, putting yourself out there as some kind of shill, the book is just not going to go anywhere. And I'm tired of books not going anywhere. And I've seen enough from books that have gone somewhere, like uh, Zero Saints, for example. Gabino got out there, and he fucking he beat that pavement. He got those reviews. He spammed Twitter. He didn't give a shit. He wanted to sell the. He wanted people to read his book. And I wanted people to read his book because I fucking published it. And you know what? They fucking read it. And. It's been a massive success. And if every book that I published was as successful as Zero Saints, then I'd make a shitload of money. Straight up. I'd make a shitload of money. I'd be able to do the shit full time, which is what I wanted to do in the first place. So basically, anyway, I mean, the point is, who gives a shit? Who gives a fuck? If somebody's not interested in your product, they're going to call you annoying. They're going to say that you're annoying, you're a shill. You're a loud mouth. You're spamming my page, blah, blah, blah. But who gives a fuck? We only live one life. Why would you care about what a random person thinks? If, if a random person thinks that you're a broken record and you're an annoying piece of shit who just cares about selling their own books, who cares? Who cares? And let's be honest. I mean, you kind of are. What if we just owned it? What if it was like, yeah, I am an annoying piece of shit because that's what I have to do. I have to be my own salesman. Nobody's doing it for me, you know? And of course there are caveats and things of that nature that people on Facebook love to point. You never notice that people on Facebook love to point out that what you're saying isn't true 100% of the time. Like you're some kind of fucking moron who doesn't know that things are nuanced. So you put an idea out on Facebook and then people say, well, that's true. But you know, every once in a while, it's a different way. And the thought process is, yeah, no fucking shit, dude. God damn, people love to waste time on fucking Facebook. Just everybody going around looking smart, looking clever. Oh, here's my clever twist on what you said. Yeah, I, yeah, 
I, I get that. But that's a digression. Um, what the fuck was I even talking about? Oh, yeah, right. I was talking about the, the caveats to the whole thing. You know, I feel like it's probably a good idea to just not be a dickhead or an asshole. So maybe a good rule of thumb is that if somebody's having a conversation about something that doesn't have to do with your book, maybe injecting something about your book is in poor taste. But however you want to use your platform, it's your platform, I don't really think there's anything wrong with it. Now, again, I'm going to unfollow a lot of you just because, frankly, I'm not interested in your fucking books. Like, I think your books look like trash, and I don't, I'm never going to buy them, and I'm embarrassed to see them, so I'm just going to hide it when you try to share it with me. But if I'm interested, then the only way to get me to know, or anybody else for that matter, who might be a person interested in your book is, is to just keep saying it facebook is going to throttle you spend the money on advertising on facebook on twitter it's a little bit more fair because you know you just it's the luck of the draw so fuck i don't know i don't care post 10 times a day on that shit it doesn't it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter just get that shit out there so i guess the overall thrust of this particular ramble is that I feel like I'm changing as a writer and a person. I want to get better at writing popular books, at writing literature that moves, that people enjoy, real page turners, real thrillers. I'm not uh, maybe interested in spending you know, the rest of my life uh, in obscure indie territory. I do want to get out there and you know, write books for a large amount of people. I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that. And uh, so, yeah, so that's that's where I'm changing. I'm not punk anymore. Just letting you know, JDO is not punk anymore. I'm, I'm very corporate, ready to sell out, ready to make this into a thing. Um, but don't worry, I'll stay true to my, to my punk roots, much like, you know, like a Green Day or a Blink-182. That's my ramble for the day, folks. I hope you enjoyed spending time with me. That's about 30 minutes of listening to me talk about just random shit. I hope you got something out of it. Um, please do check out my Patreon, because in the meantime, I'm doing a lot of unpaid work. Um, I know that that's the game. That's what you have to do. But a donation via Patreon would just ease that up a little bit. I particularly bummed because I actually lost my money. This is Monday, and I'm recording this on a Monday. Normally, I'd be at work. Um, but the person who had this shift, who's worked at my work for, oh, Jesus, since the 70s, uh, wanted her shift back, and she's a sweetheart, and so I'm not, I couldn't just be like, no, it's mine now. So I gave her her shift back, and unfortunately, that leaves me... Uh, in kind of a bind, I have to go look for more freelance money. So anyway, blah, 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 we all have problems. But uh, the, the, the point of the matter is that uh, while the books do make money, and the podcast makes no money, but the books make a little bit of money, but the, the point is, is that the process of putting them together is completely unpaid. So the Patreon helps to fill those unpaid moments with a little bit of money so that I'm not... Uh, at the end of the month, scrambling around, trying to figure out how I'm going to get my rent paid. Um, because, yeah, because the projects do slow down. Basically, whenever money is short, I'm sure you can relate to this. Um, when money is short, you drop everything and just look for how you are going to get the next dollar or two. 
So, um, you know, if you got it, cool. If not, cool. But if you do got it, I would uh, greatly appreciate you going over to patreon.com slash JDO. Dropping me a dollar a month or five dollars $5 a month would really, really help so that I can get to a point uh, where I actually have the time to maybe put rewards up and give you guys something special and cool. Um, anyhow, that's enough for now. Everybody stay cool, chill out, and I'll be back on Wednesday uh, with an interview with a, with another rapper. You guys wanted more rappers, and I'm heeding the call uh, for what the people want. I'm really excited about it. It's cool as shit. Talk to you then. See you Wednesday. Bye.